and welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, the beat writer. In fact, he is my number one overall draft pick. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, doing all right. The team uh, was out on the West Coast, so some late nights, some weird game times this past week. They'll be back home for two days this week, which is also weird. Strange things going on these days. <sighs> strange things. We'll get to some of the strange things here, here in a second. <laughs> the overarching concept, though, is uh, the Tigers went 1-5 and five this week, only a late Saturday night victory salvaging a what would have been a winless league, what very easily could have been a winless week um it seemed to me actually I'll, I'll get to that in a second from what we've seen so far from this team I'm I'm, I'm going back and forth about is this who they are or are they slumping maybe a little bit of both because we talked a lot about some regression that was expected by a lot of you know the projections for this team or I guess a lot of individual players and that eventually leads to the win-loss record but oh god I mean I didn't see anything that projected things to be this bad when you talk about scopes hitting uh Badoo Jamer and then you throw in the litany of injuries Riley Green we all know him Casey Mize Matt Manning Chafin, who's finally come back, just to name a couple. I don't think this is who this team is in terms of how it was constructed, but maybe it is who they are in terms of the guys that are available, but they are also slumping. So I guess my answer to my own question is it's kind of both, but man, does yeah. it look it doesn't look that good right now. Yeah, I think it's some of both. Um, the main point is it's probably time to stop the sugar coating. We've seen a big enough sample now, and it's not just the win-loss record. It's the matter in which the win-loss record has been attained. It's been pretty ugly, as everyone who's watched and probably everyone listening to this podcast knows. I think the projection systems wouldn't have necessarily expected this bad of starts or this bad of seasons um, over the course of 162 from Candelario or from Scope. Those are two of the guys who graded out somewhat better because their numbers have been fairly consistent the last couple of years. Projection systems were actually super pessimistic about the bullpen, which is the best bullpen ERA in baseball. So it's hard to kind of reconcile all of this. Bottom line, though, is the team's starting pitching has been not great, and the team's lineup has been... Uh, pretty poor, especially in terms of slugging, especially in terms of hitting the ball hard. And they got to play in some warmer weather this weekend. It didn't necessarily help a whole lot. We did see Miguel Cabrera homer Sunday, Jamer Candelario homer Sunday, but it was too little too late. We saw some more mistakes in the field. You like to think that that cleans itself up at some point, but you also kind of thought that would have happened by now. So... I don't know. You know, we, we're going to talk more about the panic button and when's the time to panic and all that. It's still very early in the season. At the same time, we talked a lot about how things have to go right for this team to really be any type of contender. And so far, a lot of things have gone wrong and almost nothing has gone right. I do want, want worry that 
that was always a little more of a reality, probably than we like to admit with this team. Um, as fun and interesting as this roster can be, you know, this isn't the Yankees, this isn't the Dodgers, this isn't the Astros. You were still counting on a lot of guys to maintain their performance. All these dudes have been slumping at once, and it's been tough to watch. Well, you know, you say tough to watch, and one of the things that I was kind of going with in my mind is, God, when they get down too early, you know, when they're down by four going into, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, that seems a lot more insurmountable than really it should. And, you know, Scope hits a home run in the in the ninth inning or whatever, and it's like, oh, you know, it's a it's a four run game or you know whatever, it ended up being three run game, whatever it was, and it's like, I mean, yeah, it was three runs. It was going into that. Those it was four. Uh, it just kind of felt like, oh, good for Jamer, not like, oh, is a comeback yeah. happening? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what it felt like. And even though they had the they had the tying run at the plate at one point, and it was and it was met, it was your boy Austin Meadows, and it was still like. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of hard to see this happening. It, that's what I said on opening day when they were trailing against the White Sox early. I was like, this is the game that the 2019 and 2020 Tigers, you would have lost, you would have written them off by the fifth inning. That was no longer the case. Well, suddenly we're back in a place where this is kind of the case because you don't see a lot of thump in the lineup. Amazingly, again, the bullpens held things together. Some of these games could have been way bigger blowouts than they have actually ended up being um but something about the way this team has played it's tough to feel inspired especially in this road trip obviously i think the minnesota series was uh, probably the low water mark for this season so far well okay well let's go into that right now so you start out the Minnesota series, which a lot of people kind of had circled based on what had happened leading up to it as sort of a, if there was ever a series where you really kind of wanted to put yourself in good position, get yourself some momentum, if you would, uh, this early in the season, like that was one of those series is, is the way it was being talked about. And you get yourself a lead and you got your all-star closer in there and Four straight ball, excuse me, eight straight balls for two walks. The first pitch I thought looked like, I don't know, if, it doesn't really matter given what we're about to talk about, but the first book pitch was like almost right down the plate. I don't know, unless the TV uh, icon was yeah. wrong. That looked like a strike seven no, days was... out, of seven, out of a week, you know. But regardless, you know, Soto just, you know, I don't know. I'm not a pitching mechanic guy. Seemed like he was holding the ball too long. Seemed like, you know, blowing his hand. He couldn't really get a good grip, it was cold, forever that's worth, I'm just kind of, you know, saying that's what my eyes saw, and the, the the play happens, where you have a reliable fielder in the outfield, Grossman, misjudge a line drive, and then not really that great of a relay situation, and then Haas gets it, the Twins have a base running gaff, and, uh, and, and Haas runs down the third baseline, throws it. Uh, like an alley oop pass, essentially, way over Jamer's head, and uh, and that's the ball game, essentially. Uh, Baez made a good college try to go get that ball, but it really didn't matter. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> no. Uh, it, <laughs> but it was cool to see him run out there. You know, what, whatever. Uh, 
a lot of uh I think I think it was one of the like the minor league uh, Tigers uh, uh, podcast guys. They were like, you know, a lot of adult softball league players dissecting that play. Um, oh yeah, oh there were so many of it, so many, so much of that. I yeah. pointed out twelve U baseball coaches. Yeah, there was a ton of it. <laughs> um, I'll just say my piece on that play, and then uh, and then you can you know dissect it however you want. Uh, to me, when you have a error like that in that situation, you, you sort of like the Grossman error is what I'm talking about. And and no run is scored. You, you just kind of you just kind of eat it at that point and maybe not try anything too much because you in a way you're kind of lucky that that's all it was. Uh, I don't some people I wouldn't have thrown it the second. I don't. I wouldn't have thrown it the third. I think I, I. I might have ran up the line just a little bit, just because. But I wouldn't have. Uh, I don't think I would have thrown that ball. Uh, for for that reason, um, I get what he was trying to do, and I think he said something about the ball being muddy or whatever, which you know he did just take it in the dirt. Um, but I just. I thought. I wouldn't like I said throw it across your body to second. That's not really. You don't really know if Soto's behind you because, you know, you're in the moment. I, I would have just kind of ate that ball and said, all right, let's just try to focus on maybe limiting the damage to one run. You know, you still have Soto on the mound there. Um, and, and that's just a hindsight 2020 thing. I don't know what AJ preaches there. But that was sort of my interpretation of, uh, of that play. Yeah, I tend to agree. Now, it sounds like AJ Hinch had settled on... He talked about the play with Haas, and it sounds like he had settled on wanting Haas to kind of run at Gio Urshela, who was between second and third, and probably eventually feeding the ball to Javi Baez. I guess I'll defer to AJ's judgment right there, but some of the 12U baseball coaches on Twitter who were automatically like, you run at the runner if he's caught in between the bases. Rarely do you see this situation, because rarely is a guy caught between the bases when there is a runner in front of him. That's why I would have been in favor of just holding the ball. You've already had this chaotic play. If you give the ball to Baez, you're thrown across the diamond. You're probably asking Javi potentially to throw back to the diamond, maybe to Gregory Soto at the plate. I don't know if that that, that is what you want. Uh, you're really maybe assuming that that runner just stays on third, but I kind of think that's a pretty big assumption they should have lost the game when Robbie Grossman missed the ball. They were lucky to still be alive at all. I think just eating it would yeah. have been the uh, would have been probably what I, even though yeah maybe you could have got her shell out. I think eating it is the safe move, and you just move on. You're lucky to still be alive at all. Haas obviously his instinct was to run the runner back to third, but there was so much chaos going on. He uh, he kind of got confused when Urshela starts heading back to second. I have no idea why he threw the ball to third. I don't think he really knows. I think it was just one of those. It was chaos, you know, uh, which again is why I would be in yeah. favor of just eating it because once things are that chaotic, even when you are a major league team and not a 12U team or a softball team, generally good things just don't tend to happen after that point in a play, you know. So I think shutting it down is mm-hmm. is would have been my call. Um if the Tigers disagree, that's fine. The bottom line is there's no redoing that one. And I also don't think we're going to see that situation happen again anytime soon because it was just a weird, <laughs> weird play. One of the strangest things I've ever seen in a major league game. Yeah, that's a hell of a way to end. Uh, you know, 
my Twitter accounts just flooded with DMs of that play from like all the, all my buddies and stuff, you know, and uh, trying to explain it to like you know people at work. It's like, oh, how the the Tigers game, you know, how that, and so that's like that takes like five minutes, you know, and yeah, it was one of the stranger ways to end the game. Uh, this is not a specific to Soto criticism, but for people there, it's like, well, what, what does it matter? You know, the, you know, there's a pitcher at home plate. It's like I don't know. I just generally speaking don't really want to rely on pitchers to have to you know make that kind of play let's just say there was a play at the plate you know what i mean like that's sometimes you're asking them to do something that you know how many reps do they have of that you know and and spring training or and games even you know so yeah that was that was a rough one and it kind of set the tone for for the week so I, I wanted to ask you this because it has been brought up are are you someone who kind of believes in I guess it's sort of like the negative momentum for for lack of a better term carryover um, because there there's a there's a there's there's reason to believe that if they win that game they feel a little bit better about themselves and maybe some some consequent outings are more productive closer games maybe a couple wins here or there I'm not sure I'd buy into that but I also don't want to dismiss it because that's that's a devastating way to begin your first road trip of the season. You're trying to scrap together wins in general. Like I could be sold on the fact that 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 we we could have just fast forwarded to Sunday after that game and been like, all right, well they got one win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the team was still emotionally deflated coming off the high of Miguel's three thousandth hit. Um, so this isn't analytical you can't quantify it so maybe i'm going against a lot of my own beliefs in saying mm-hmm. this but anyone who's ever played sports at any level knows that some of that stuff can absolutely be real i think it would have been you know imagine if the tigers win sunday against the dodgers we're sitting here talking about well pretty some brutal games but the tigers yeah. just took two out of three from the best team of baseball could this be uh you know help them write the ship going forward unfortunately that's obviously not what happened and we're sitting here talking about a one in five road trip with a couple of very ugly losses in there. I think when the team's playing this bad, it seems to somehow be uh, contagious. You know, when everyone's hitting, even managers say, well, yeah, hitting's contagious. Uh, And then when everyone's slumping, you know, managers and coaches like to say, well, it's more of an individual basis. I don't know. (laughs) Something about the mood is is not right. You like to think it'll flip. I still think this team is going to play a little better at some point. Uh, but I think we're now also at the point where it's time to acknowledge that this has been bad and has gone on a little too long. When comparing it to last year's team, it was around early May of last year when there was also a pretty massive roster turnover. Uh, I don't think you're going to have the same level of reinforcements coming in this year. Now, it also is going to be time to look at uh, a couple of changes, I think, on the roster, but you're actually losing guys from the roster. You're going from 28 down to 26. Uh, there's not going to be this transformation of the team in terms of the actual personnel that there was last season. So some of these guys got to get going somehow. Got to get going. And the probably the number one thing I'm going to look for this week is either on the field or, you know, quotes with the media or, you know, whatever, maybe TV interviews, local alley interviews. Who's who's the galvanizer on this squad? Because we've we've heard like 
Miguel Cabrera being like, you know, the leader of the team. And I'm not disputing that notion, but I don't really think like, is he the guy that's going to be like, hey guys, let's, you know, let's get this together or whatever. Like who's, who's the real galvanizing force of the squad that can kind of demand accountability from himself, from others, and, and they respect them. Um, does this team even have somebody like that? I don't know. I'm not saying they do or they don't, but that's probably one. I, I, we know AJ's a tre- tremendous leader, but you, you, you got to have it on the field as well. So I don't know who kind of fills that void, but somebody needs to, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good point. One thing this team has kind of lacked since I've covered it is like a voice, the go-to post-game quote in the clubhouse, the go-to vocal leader cliched again as as that can be you got some guys who kind of fit that mold like tucker barnhart but he's still new to the team he hasn't played especially well robbie grossman's uh kind of your veteran but he's you know i don't think he's going to be super outspoken i wonder if javi Baez could fill that role again he's your biggest signing he's not known for being like outspoken but if you recall he was uh really critical of the 2018 Cubs at the end of the season. He basically sat in the media. I'm sure he said it behind closed doors that there were too many guys who weren't focused, weren't all about winning. So I think it could be a good opportunity for your $140 million shortstop to step up. How much? But then again, how much does saying something to team meetings actually matter? I think AJ Hinch has kind of been like, yeah, I'm not big on the team meeting. That's kind of a false notion. Um, but it's, it's hard to, there's not like one trend for why guys haven't been hitting the ball. That's also what makes this hard to identify what almost makes me think that there's some kind of lull in the, in just the overall energy or chemistry. Cause it's not like you can be like, Oh, they're chasing too much. Some guys are in some cases, but generally this is the, the least the tigers have chased in, in three or four years. Um, obviously they're not hitting for power. Why are they not hitting for power? I don't know. Uh, some of these guys just look lost at the plate, and it's got to be mental to a certain extent. How you fix that, um, I don't know. If I if I had a better idea, maybe I would be a major league manager. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not really a fix, really, other than just performing better. I mean, <laughs> that's it's not really, you know, hardcore analysis or anything, but, you know, there's... Like today, actually, if if they won this game, and you know we can play the the what if thing, um, if, if they had won this game, we we'd be talking about like those against the shift sort of swinging bunts that uh, was it was it it was Meadows and uh, one other guy I forget who had had one of those uh, maybe Tucker I believe um, had like swinging bunts that just went to where a third baseman would normally yeah. be, but uh but they had to shift on and so we'd be talking about those kind of things can kind of stir and uh well we're not gonna be talking about that so um well and they had a lot of that saturday night you know they finally got some breaks saturday night true 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 and and unfortunately the momentum couldn't carry over um in in the spirit of panic i decided to to kind of break it down in a way that I thought would be a little a little fun and uh, and a little different so you know we all grew up playing you know the game horse you know on the basketball court h-o-r uh, um h-o you know you shout out the 
Shout the letters of where you are. That's how I keep score. Well, guess what else is five letters? Panic. So we're going to play Panic. And I'm going to pose a, a topic to Cody. And and he's going to say, you know, basically on 20% increments uh, what the panic level is. So we'll try to have a little little fun with this. Uh, first, first one up is Jonathan Scope, who entering Sunday was hitting a solid 1-1-1 one, one, one at the plate. Start by saying I'm generally not a believer in the overall idea of panic. I think it uh, is best to step back and take a breath. And obviously, we've talked a lot about pragmatism on the podcast. But in spirit of the game, I'll go with a PA for Jonathan Scope. Starting 111 is not good, especially when you just got a contract extension when no one else on your team is hitting. At the same time, this guy has been doing it for a while. He's got a track record. Unless he's battling some sort of injury that... Uh, we don't know about. You got to think he's going to pick it up. He has a history of starting slow. March and April, career-wise, are his worst months. Uh, Scope's going to pick up the production at some point, but can he even match last year's production? That's still a viable question going forward. And the longer he takes to, to get going, the more viable that question becomes. I should correct the record. He is hitting entering today. Henry Sunday, uh, 145. The next guy on my notes, I got numbers mixed up. The next guy on my notes, uh, Panic Meter, Akil Badu, who is the one hitting 111 so far. Yeah, like, depends how you define panic. Are we panicking about him right now, or are we panicking about his long-term role in the organization? Uh, I'll go P-A-N, just like I'm more worried about him than Scope because he doesn't have the track record because last year was so uncanny. As I said last week, uh, the idea of Akil getting some time in the minors I think might be good for him, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a referendum of like, oh, you're not who we thought you were. It could be like, oh, you're a dude who was playing out of his mind all last year, maybe taking a step back working on a few fundamental things, even just getting out of the pressure for a couple weeks in AAA. Like, I, I feel like that could be good for him. He's still going to be a productive big leaguer, I think. Um, but he's in a weird funk right now where it hasn't looked good, and it's hard to write his name into the lineup. And we'll also have to see what happens here with Robbie Grossman and the hand injury he suffered in Sunday's game. So if he has to go on the IL, then Akil is definitely sticking around. And even if he's going to miss a few days, A.J. Hinch is going to have a tough call. Again, just managing this roster. Do you send down a, a position player such as probably Akil or Willie Castro? Um, or do you send down a pitcher, even though A.J.'s kind of indicated that's not what he wants to do? It's a good point on the Grossman thing. Uh, I, generally speaking, think Akil could benefit from a little time in Toledo. I agree with you. It's not a referendum on anything in particular just there's got to be something where he can reset his mind get some confidence and and maybe some rejuvenation can come from that because it just feels like he just hasn't gotten really hardly any breaks and and maybe the increased playing time or the increased opportunity for playing time to start the year with the green injury specifically him in center field uh, maybe that's a lot being thrown at him. I don't know. Uh, but it's 
even from what he had, well, he, what he did in spring training, this was not what many would have anticipated, even if it wasn't going to be exactly the flash of last season. All right, uh, defensive gaffes. So we talked about the the rundown situation. We uh, last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, they all kind of run together. The uh, the pop fly, uh, Barnard and Tyler and Spencer did not essentially did not go for um, defense in general. It seems like it's not what was expected. Um, but defensive gaffes, defensive uh, play this year panic meter i'll go p-a-n uh i think you don't necessarily have a legitimate center fielder and everyone's like will riley green be an elixir as much as i think riley green is a very good defender there were still questions about like is he really a center fielder particularly in comerica i think he can probably be like an average major league center fielder but you know he's I don't think Riley Green's defense is going to suddenly transform the whole team. Uh, I don't know that Tucker Barnard has been as good behind the plate as we were kind of led to believe. You'd like to think he improves, but other than his blocking, you know, his throwing spin off, I don't think his framing numbers are anything super exceptional. And we've kind of gone back and forth on he's called some good games, he's called some bad games. Look at the roster. Jamer Candelario, I don't know, probably slightly below league average fielder. Jonathan Scope, pretty good. Uh, former Gold Glove finalist, Torkelson. We like to think he's a good defensive first baseman. He's made some good plays. He's made some bad plays. Austin Meadows, average at best. Robbie Grossman, probably average at best. It's not like this is a team full of Gold Glovers. Uh, I think the notion that this was going to be like an outstanding defensive team was never really true. But you just thought they would be more fundamentally sound. And as much as this, we're we're you know, into May now, and we're still talking about how sloppy they are. I feel like they can't be this sloppy all year, right? Right? Well, you wouldn't think so, but we didn't think we'd see some of the things that we've seen. And, <laughs> right. And I, I will say this, I do have a lot more comfort Derek Hill being in center field. I know, because, you know, the bat's always a thing, and, and he's, not, you know, not projecting him to be an everyday center fielder, obviously, but it it does feel a lot better when he's out there, and um, there are times where I still feel like Eric Haas is, you know, because he is learning how to play left field. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I you would think it'd be better. I mean, even, you know, Baez has his mental uh, mental errors, you know, but that kind of that's kind of like the swing and miss on a strikeout equivalent of him on defense, where it's like, all right, well. You know, some of that stuff's gonna happen. That's just kind of no, that, that's baked into the cake with Baez. And you're right about Spencer Torkelson. There, you know, he's several times he's bailed out his infield with uh, with his scoop ability, with his stretch ability, with his general athleticism. And then there are other times where you just kind of feel like, yeah, you know, he he's a not step behind, but metaphorically a step behind uh, what uh, what he could be defensively. So. Uh, I I think Riley Green's an upgrade, but you're you know when he comes back, but you're right to say that there's still a lot of those concerns will still exist. And uh and I don't know, maybe that's another thing. We don't talk we typically don't talk about hitting or excuse me, we talk about hitting in the cold weather. You know, maybe we ought to take 
cold weather fielding into consideration. I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to look for excuses, but I'm looking for anything that can explain some stuff, you know? That's true. That's true. Well, I don't know. They've, they've had to play a lot of Harold Castro and Willie Castro on the field. That that doesn't help your defense. I guess in theory, maybe that's one way things improve if they can kind of patch up some holes um, and, and get the, the regular dudes on the field more. All right, next up on Panic Meter, the uh, the Mize and Manning situation. We uh, we kind of agreed last week that we're calling it a literal setback. I believe those were your words because it was because it was you know literally going to to Lakeland and um, we still don't. But what, what's the latest on that? Because I kind of heard it in and out on uh, on the radio today. I didn't necessarily get the full picture there well we have some good news here kieran they're both alive and they're both throwing they're throwing a baseball in lakeland it seems that mize is ahead of manning in this throwing program what exactly that entails i'm not sure i think he's throwing the baseball a farther distance uh still no clear timetable for their return but the fact they're both throwing seems good i think we can agree whatever's going on with matt manning Worse than originally thought. Apparently, he still had some discomfort in his arm, and that's why he's now behind Mize. Uh, seems like we're still just calling it shoulder discomfort, so I don't know what's going on there. But uh, if they're up and throwing the baseball, it seems like it could be worse than that. I'm not going to speculate too much on how long it'll be until we see them in the big leagues again because I don't know. Uh, but I guess you can consider that some small positive updates since last week. All right, well, if they're alive and throwing a baseball, I'll, me personally, I'll move it from a PAN to a PA because I'd probably like a little bit more progress, but uh, I'm not going to go over 50% on the panic meter if uh, yet, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends, again, like how you're viewing it. If you're talking about their health, their long-term health, probably like a PE, maybe a PA if you're talking about the Tigers starting pitching situation, I could still go for a PA in. The Tigers rank last in baseball in called strike and whiff percentage, which is the number of called strikes you get and the number of swings and misses you generate. You add them together. This is basically how good of a pitcher are you? You know, are you getting guys out in the strike zone? Um, and the Tigers are very bad at that from a starting pitching standpoint, and that's a stat they care about, and you want Mize to potentially emerge into an ace this year you hoped you would see a lot of progress from matt manning the longer it takes them to get back the less likely that is to happen my guy tyler alexander three bad starts in a row uh, i think we're going to talk more about bo brisky i've actually been very impressed still with bo brisky but you're not exactly rolling with your ideal rotation right now and then when your lineup's not hitting that's a problem so i'd go pan from that point of view all right, well, yeah, let's let's go with the brisky thing. Uh, this is a tongue-in-cheek one, and then just, you know, your thoughts on him uh, through two starts now, especially in a big spot on Saturday. Uh, panic meter on Bo Brisky, the second pitch of every uh, of his outings. Um, I'm starting to think maybe it, they should just kind of do a pitch out um, for his second pitch <laughs> uh, because the chances of a, that of a home run happening there are quite slimmer. Um, but, but yeah, obviously that's a, that's a joke. Uh, panic meter, 
in general with the starting pitching right now would be reduced from what we've seen from Bo Brisky. Yeah, I'd go zero letters with the second pitch thing. I uh, have a strong feeling he will not allow a home run <laughs> in his second pitch of the next game. Brisky, look, I was talking to someone about this earlier this week. If I had to rank, we talked about his demeanor, like having like the perfect like mix of competitor and like savvy pitcher. If I were to rank these young guys in terms of just their one mound demeanor, this isn't knock on anyone's character, their intellect, or anything like that. But if I were to just be like, hmm, I think I'd rank Bo Brisky number one. You know, above Mize, who can get in his own head, above Scooble, who I think can get in his own head, above Manning, who uh, has more of that bulldog style, almost to a fault. And if I were to rank these guys on fastball command, I think I'm ranking Bo Brisky number one. And uh, somewhere down there, like Matt Manning, and then I don't, then Casey Mize and Tarek Scooble, but it depends on the day. And that doesn't mean I think he's a better pitcher than them, but there are certain things. Bo Brisky has shown us that we haven't seen as much as we would like from Mize, from Manning. Probably seen more of these things, at least recently, from Tarek Skubal. That's just to say Bo Brisky's been, been impressive. And when he gave that up that home run to Mookie Betts, I was like, Ugh, yeah, this might be a rough day for Mr. Brisky in Dodger Stadium. Uh, the dude locked it in. That fastball changeup combo is really good. He's going to have to get better with the slider and or curveball to really thrive, I think, in the big leagues. But uh, you could be doing a lot worse than what we've seen from Bo Brisky in his two starts. There's a simplistic element to Brisky that really appeals to me uh, in, in a couple yeah. facets. One, he just he legitimately just seems like I want to say he doesn't care, but it's not how that sounds. Like he just doesn't care. Give me the ball, I'm gonna throw it. Um, the 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 way the game is being called for him is pretty simple. It's basically two pitches. Uh, I think what was it? his third pitch, like in like 11 percent on Saturday, and it's like single digits for yeah. So yeah. He, he just and he it seems like unafraid and like. Like he seems like a guy that would say like, well, what do you what do you think about pitching in the majors? He's like, I don't know, like the mound, sixty feet, six inches. You know, I've been pitching that distance, you know, for a long time now. I don't know what's the difference. Like I just, you know, I I, I do what I do, um, and I don't know if I could be more impressed with him, especially considering the back to back leadoff home runs that he's given up, and his ability to not let that rattle him, not let that like. I don't even say he settles down. I think he just goes. You know what I mean? Like it, it like settling down sort of implies a little bit of like a, like a, in your head a little bit or whatever. I don't even think it's settling down. I think he just kind of all right, whatever. Next pitch, next batter. You know, here we go. And and it's worked really well. And from what I understand, that's kind of how he's been for several years, based on your reporting, based on anecdotes on the broadcast and all that stuff. Uh, if the Tigers had been able to scrape together a couple more wins, we'd be talking about like, oh my God, thank God for Bo Brisky. You know what I mean? And in a way, yeah. he still is, but because he's eating innings and, and that stuff, and he's in the rotation. But uh, but it's a shame that they're not winning because he'd be talked about a little bit better as like one of these good feel good stories right now. Bo Brisky, in my mind, is like the Kevin Millwood of the Tigers pitching. Process. Wow, reference. A lot of people talk about Kevin Millwood. All right, everyone talks about. 
Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Well, from 1997 to 2002, the Braves' number four starter was Kevin Millwood. No one talks about Kevin Millwood. A lot of people don't know he was on those staffs. A lot of people forget about him. Kevin Millwood had a 2-6 ERA in 1999. He had a 3-2-4 ERA in 2002. He was a really good pitcher, especially as your number four. And I have no idea if Bo Brisky will ever achieve a 2.68 ERA in the major leagues. Honestly, if I had to guess, probably not. But in terms of, like, this guy doesn't get the do, the notoriety overall. He's not as good as Maddox, Clavin, Smoltz. But this guy's still a really good pitcher and, and deserves some credit for that. That's kind of how I see Bo Brisky, if you, like, kind of scale those two situations t- to each other, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I love the Millwood reference. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why you come to turning the corner. You never know who's going to who's <laughs> gonna get brought up. Um this is not necessarily specific to the Tigers, although it definitely affects them. Uh, panic meter on the baseball, the new baseball, the old baseball, like the the lack of uh, lack of home runs. You said you said, oh, I think it's anecdotal. We now know it's not anecdotal. There's more balls that are yeah. being hit yeah. to the warning track. Right. Yeah, you were right, and uh, and it seems it, like the Athletic had a had a really in depth article on it. If you're really into numbers and graphs and all that stuff, it covers everything there. But the gist of it is like maybe some pandemic fallout still, and then new humidors, and you know, like <laughs> like yeah. all these weird things. The bottom line is, it seems like they screwed with the baseball a little bit with an intention, and probably not going to change it now, at least for this year. So we might be stuck right now as is with with this new flyout ball. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going with a P. Um, I think it is impacting the game. I brought that up before, but does it ultimately matter? I think it just gives us and players something to complain about. We've spent almost a decade now being like, "Oh, there are too many home runs. All people do is hit home runs now." And now it's like, "Oh, well, where are all the home runs? Guys are just flying out to the warning track. What's up, the ball? People seem to complain about the ball every year." does seem weird how sketchy Major League Baseball can be about it, how inconsistent the league seems to have been about the makeup of the ball. Maybe it impacts the way the game's played. I think home runs are going to increase still as we get into the summer months. Maybe they will be lesser. Maybe that's okay. Um, in terms of things I am worried about, things I'm losing sleep <laughs> over, there are a lot of things, and the baseball just isn't one of them. And, you know, even if I were a hitter, you know, they're probably going to be – a few days where maybe you feel robbed and maybe you're like, oh, well, with the old ball, that would have been out. There's a great quote. Here's another reference from The Wire. Here's the thing about the old days. They the old (laughs) days. That's how I feel about the baseball. Yeah, yeah. Figure it out. That would be be my thing. Figure it out. Um, Next on the panic meter, air costs. Eric Haas, who again entering Sunday is batting a healthy 139. Uh, he, similar to Badu, kind of looks a little out of sorts. Uh, he's when we talked about you know the throwing error. That's just one play. I'm not you know I'm not killing him for that. Uh, he's left field. He, he still can tell he's getting more comfortable, which is obviously the reasonable thing he has not a full-time left fielder and he's asked to do a lot he's asked to come in in key spots when he when he's a a pinch hitter just right now it's a lot of a lot more lacking than what he is giving so 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat because um, I can. No one's here to stop me. One of the great PR innovations. Whoever was the first guy to come up with the phrase like "you don't have to actually answer the question you were asked" was a genius. And being on the other side of things in journalism, you get that all the time. You ask a question and the answer sort of addresses it, but not really. But if the person talks long enough and you're in a press conference, you can't necessarily follow up on it. Uh, whoever thought of that was just, I mean, what great advice from a PR perspective. I'm going to change the question to how concerned am I about the Tigers catching situation, P-A-N-I-C, and rosters are going down. Maybe my suggestion box of pulling the plug when the three-catcher experiment will happen. Uh, ultimately, we'll see what AJ and Alavila decide on, but it seems like Tigers are going to have to decide, do we want Dustin Garneau's defense or Eric Haas's bat? Uh, I like Eric Haas. He's a great guy, but I always thought it was a little – I was always a little surprised by the vote of confidence that he was getting from the organization to be like, we're going to carry this guy and he's going to play left field and he's going to play catcher and he's going to pinch hit because we believe in his bat that much even though he hit – you know, I, I already forget the number, but his last two months were a struggle last year. Um, he had been considered a 4A player in the Indian system for a long time. Yeah, he's got pop, but was he ever really going to be an average hitter? I, and right now, you know, I think it makes sense to keep Haas over Garneau because at least you know he has some pop in there. Garneau has, I think, 11 plate appearances. Like, why are you hand-streaming your entire roster for a guy who is barely playing? Uh, so, again, I, I, think, I think you're, you're – you know, you're just hurting yourself by carrying three catchers, especially when uh, kind of the guy you built this around, which was Eric Haas, we won his bat, is not producing. It's a problem. It's a big problem. You know, the uh, the master of the answer a different question, don't have to answer the questions. Probably Elizabeth Holmes, founder of Theranos, just got done watching The Dropout. <laughs> And uh, then went back and watched the HBO documentary, The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. References Re are all over the place Recommend today. them both. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, here's something that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, Spencer Torkelson's strikeout looking. Uh, I don't, I, I didn't, I, in all honesty, I didn't go back and look for every strikeout and see what the ratio is. But anecdotally, it looks like most a vast majority of his strikeouts are looking um you had said that that's kind of baked into the cake of his plate approach uh i don't mind it because i think like some of them i think are bad calls some of them are borderline and, and others are pitches he couldn't do much with anything anyway so uh me answering this i give it i give it a p i i just you know it's not the thing i worry about with torkelson but it is one of those things that just, it's literally a bad look just because any yeah. strikeout looking is a bad look. Oh, right. I think we have to untrain ourselves from the stigma of striking out looking. That's kind of yeah. another 12U baseball coach thing. Yeah. I think it's okay in today's day and age if you strike out looking. In the case of Torkelson, it's often a sign of a good plate approach. Is a strikeout looking, you know, actually better or worse than a weak grounder to second because you've flailed at some ball, you know, two or three balls off the plate. Yeah, you put the ball in play, whatever, whatever. Okay, this isn't JV baseball. I think Spencer Torkelson, I don't know how to say this. Like, my instinct wants to be, like, no letters or P, but then I've seen this out of its work for a while now, and 
I don't know how to praise his patient plate approach, which I love, while still being like, I wish he'd be a little more aggressive. I wish he'd jump on the fastball from time to time. So I think he could be a better hitter if he were a touch more aggressive. But if asking him to do that without sacrificing what makes him such a good hitter is a difficult balance, so I wouldn't get too worked up about it. I'll settle on a Pete here. Especially, you know, when it's a rookie going through, you know. That too. Going through all that, you know, in some ways just kind of let him do his thing and then there will be a time when you can kind of look at those things a little more specifically is is kind of what I would what I would think. Um All right, that was kind of that was kind of downtrodden a little bit. Let's let's bring up a couple positives, a couple positives. Um I I have to say, I... Hold on, hold on. Oh. You know what? Before we get positive, I don't know if you had this plan later, but I think the worst thing that happened in the Tigers organization this week, Ryan Kreider right, breaking yeah. his hand. He's having surgery. There went my plan for having him be the utility infielder who makes <laughs> a difference. And again, you talk about roster turnover. What could the Tigers do to actually improve the talent on the field? That might have been one of their options, yeah. and that's probably off the table uh, a little bit. One guy who should probably be happy is Cody Clemens might accelerate his chance to get an opportunity in the bigs at some point, but I think that's a pretty tough break, not only for Kreidler, who had been so impressive, although I think he had three walks, 22 strikeouts in AAA, uh, but but for the Tigers as a whole. Well, Clemens, two home runs today, I believe. Clemens has been hitting well. So, Clemens been hitting you know, well. If you're, so. looking, you're looking at a guy earning his shot up, I mean, it, uh, he's, yeah. on, he's on the short list. Uh and you know, and you, now and we can now Ryan. we can. There, there's a positive. There's a positive. Cody Clemens playing well in AAA. Now let's go into what other positives you had on the list. Well, the the biggest thing is that there the the concern. Speaking of hand injuries, the concern with Baez and the thumb and you know he he it, you know the in and out stuff like that that just that just reeked of something that was gonna linger and really affect his play. And look, it still might. But uh, he's hitting around. Doing right so far. He's hitting around 280. Um, he he's had some some timely hits, and defensively, other than the things that we talked about earlier, it's still all there. Uh, I have to say, I, I continually find myself impressed with Baez. I, I thought the Correa angle was kind of interesting this week, and um, a little not back and forth, but both of them sort of like acknowledging each other's uh status and how they are relatively close in stature um i don't know i just i kind of like his attitude i like the little the heart thing at the la you know fans booing him um and, and he's hitting the ball well so there's your positive your your number one free agent signing he had an injury and post-injury seems to be all right I think that's huge, you know, talk about things this team is missing. Last year we had the Akil Badu helmet flying off, and you had Derek Hill doing cool things, and you had, you seem to have all these little moments, you know, you had the bow and arrow, which I guess they still do, but they haven't hit enough homers for us to really see it much. <laughs> um, well, at least this year you got Javi Baez saying, bring on the booze, Dodgers fans. You got him doing the, the heart gesture with his hands. I love that stuff. I think that's the stuff that gets a team going and makes a team fun to watch. And I think a couple more guys on the Tigers might need to somehow incorporate that persona into their games a little more. I think it's awesome. 
Do you think Austin Meadows has the capability of doing no. that? See, no. I love Meadows. I love Grossman, but it's like they're probably not doing that. You gotta have a couple guys who can do that stuff. Well, that's okay. Meadows doesn't need to do it because he no, he doesn't. He's been playing really well. Um, he needs to hit a homer. He does. At some point. I was about When's to he say, gonna hit the homer, man. I was gonna say, you know, there's there's a possibility of like another All Star nod in there, but you probably need to have. At least one home run, you know. <laughs> that would help. That would help. <laughs> but I, I uh, and we talked about earlier in the season, you know, Robbie Grossman light, and and Grossman has turned it on, but uh, right now Meadows is out Grossman, Grossman, um, and, mm-hmm. and I and I do appreciate that. Um, so that's that's going to be another talking point this week as Isak Paredes, old friend, uh, gets the call up to the majors. We'll see. You got any bold predictions on Isak, his third go-around in the bigs? Is he, no. He's done the I same thing. Be, yeah, I think he'll be... I mean, I actually think Isak was a little better than what he showed in his, his brief... He just never got consistent ABs in the majors. I think he might show a little something. I also think we saw enough. Uh, I don't think he's just going to wow anyone long-term. But, you know, he might get a few hits. There might be a couple. Tigers Twitter will get upset for like mm. a day or two. But, you know, I don't think it's anything that, to get too The first home run, that first like Oh, the first home run, yeah. No matter, no matter when that happens, like people <laughs> are going to be upset. Paredes hits a home run before Meadows does. Like, give oh. <laughs> that'll be a, that'll be a fun, oh, wow. fun time on Twitter. And obviously the bullpen, we've talked about it. A lot. I mean, but, imagine, but imagine if this team didn't have Austin Meadows right now. Oh God! Ow! Ow! That'd be bad. Yeah, that'd it, be horrible. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, and actually, underrated part of his uh, game right now is his lineup versatility. It doesn't. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really seem like. Place. Doesn't really seem like it matters where you put him. He he has like the same approach. Again, timely as as timely as you can be when you're seven and fourteen. He's got the timely, <laughs> got the timely hits and. Uh, and you see the defensive deficiencies, but you also see that, like, he knows how to play, if that makes sense. He's just yeah. athletically not there for uh, certain certain plays. Um, all right, you got a, you got an A.J. Hinch suggestion box? I think, you know, my feelings on the roster are well known. I've used that one before. Number one, our success rate on suggestion boxes continues to be very high. Um, yes. But I don't have a serious one this week. Things are bad. I think maybe AJ needs to do something crazy. I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, you know, one of those over-the-top metaphors where you, you know, it's like you put all the bad at-bats in a box and then you blow up the box, you know. I think Joe Madden will do weird stuff like that occasionally. I think you need to have some kind of just like sit, not a team meeting where it's that we talked about. Maybe that those are stupid where it's like, okay, guys, you need to play better. Well, maybe you just need to do something dumb. And uh, some kind of seance, like to get get some more production out of your bats. Here's I don't know exactly what that is. I bet AJ could come up with something good. Maybe make it a little lighthearted, but also serious. I think that's better than some kind of like team meeting. All right, here's an idea: take uh, take a box score or several, uh, crumple them up, throw them in the toilet, and flush Ooh. them. Well, that's bad for plumbing, so I don't want well, to do it on the road. That or pay that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go should have done it in dodger stadium they got the payroll to do it 
Um, I also have a, a lighthearted, uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, suggestion box. Uh, this week, I was like, you know, because uh, uh, Chafin came in after Pineda this week, and I was like, I, I'm just not a big fan of... Uh, if you have a starter who just kind of throws it over the plate, I don't want the reliever to just do that, too, like back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe... He's, Maybe some change up, some variance there. Maybe if if possible, I know it's more complicated than this. I say it's tongue in cheek, but if possible, after Tyler Alexander, after Pineda, like maybe that's where you throw in Joe Jimenez. It, it like or like I just you're giving them more uh, more at bats against the same type of velocity. You know, I know it's not all the same, but I was like, man, they've yeah, been... I think their pitches and their arm angles are are different. Like I think Chafin's stuff is a lot different than Tyler Alexander's stuff. I'm going to I'm going to say that's not too big of like a flaw necessarily. Well, I just like the notion of like But you're right. Like when the when the Red Sox went from uh Rich Hill to Garrett Whitlock, like the Tigers were baffled and that was nasty and that's like that that's ideal. Yeah. So you're so... right. So, yeah, something like that. I was like, God, man, you're putting Chafin in right after Pineda. Like, it's like it's the same nuance. But, yeah, like I said, tongue-in-cheek. That's it. Um, All right, Cody. uh, I saw on your uh, Instagram that you had uh, tried yourself out a new barbecue sauce. We can have our first barbecue sauce review of, uh, of of the season. I actually saw it in stores, and then later, and I didn't get one because... To be honest, I'm, that's a that would be an argument if I were to buy any more barbecue sauce right now with the with the wife. It's overrun our counter, uh, so I didn't get it. But then I saw on Instagram that you got it. So tell the folks what you saw because the fact that it's available in Michigan, good sign. Yeah, I got the Traeger hot and spicy barbecue sauce. I think I picked it up at Meyer. I also got a Traeger rub because I made a brisket before. I know this is some heresy, but the NFL draft. Ooh. I watched the NFL draft. Uh, <laughs> Tigers played during the day, you know. Watched the NFL draft. Made a brisket. I thought um, maybe the best brisket I've made. And the bark was good. I thought the meat just had the really got the smoky flavor. And I thought the Traeger rub worked out pretty well. The Traeger sauce, not going to recommend it. Oh. Um, it was definitely spicy. It had the kick I like, but it was almost like overpowering. Or maybe I would say if you if you use it, don't use it on brisket. Maybe it would be good on like a pulled pork barbecue sandwich. That's probably what I would do. Uh, the flavor was fine, but it, it was like kind of too much, and I thought it really detracted from the meat. Uh, I actually ate the brisket. You know, I, I kind of mopped it in some stub sweet heat, which is still, I think, undefeated my best sauce. And I, I ended up going back for my second plate, and I did not put any further sauce on there because I, I thought it was good as was. And I thought the trigger sauce was a little too overpowering, which is usually not my complaint. But, yeah, wouldn't really recommend. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have to do a follow-up the next time you use it on something else, whether, uh, whether that holds up or not. You know what I used? I, I had some leftovers that made brisket sandwiches. Billy Sims. I was yes. like, after this trigger, I need. I was out of my stubs. I was like, I need just a generic sauce, just something basic. My guy Billy Sims came through. Is this the only Detroit Tigers podcast that's ever been made that's referenced Kevin Millwood, Elizabeth Holmes, and Billy Sims? 
The answer is yes. <laughs> and and I love it. And I love it. Uh, all right. Well, the Tigers are trying to, like you said earlier, they have a just an odd schedule. But to be honest, uh, uh, this week, I'm actually going to stop saying that because it's just everything's kind of odd. Why I told you. It, yeah, yeah, the schedule's always weird. Schedule's always tough. And the schedule's always weird. Well, and the bye week or the off day always comes at a good time. Yeah, and I, it always comes at a good time. Um, but I was going to say, like, the condensed version, it's just kind of, uh, I'm attributing it to that. I don't know how accurate that is, but um, I, I'm contributing it to that. So two games with the Pirates, get to see my boy Cabrian. Love that guy. Mainly because of his name. I think a couple years ago in spring training, I, the Tigers were playing the Pirates, and I was like, can they trade for this guy? I had no idea if it was good. I just really wanted him because of his is, name. Is O'Neal Cruz up yet? O'Neal, you need to go look up O'Neal Cruz. This dude's insane. He's like six foot seven. plays shortstop. Ooh. Awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, so we might be in for a little bit of a treat. And then uh, four games with the Astros uh, in Houston. So basically a year, uh, a year uh, from the, not really a turnaround, but like uh, a season yeah, They actually had a series. couple awful series after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, they could, But they could use another four-game sweep of the Astros, no doubt about that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how they respond with that. And uh, – the off day does come at a good time, Cody. There's no doubt about that. Do you have any uh, anything you want to tease this week in the athletic? No, I think we covered it. Team's been on the road a lot, uh, but they will be home for two days. A couple wins would make writing about this team easier. Uh, but the, 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 those are kind of all my thoughts for right now. All right. Well, you can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Y'all, if you gave a five-star review around our one-year anniversary, you might check your DMs because you might be chosen. Um, and uh, I'm finally getting around to that. I wanted to tie it in with Cody's uh, sauce recommendation or ended up not being a recommendation. But uh, <laughs> but uh, be on the lookout for that. And subscribe, rate, review if you haven't already. We would greatly appreciate it. Subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, because maybe there'll be a chance that Cody can go on some of these road trips. Who knows? Um, but it's a lot of great work that's in there, obviously, and not just baseball, not just Tigers baseball, but the entire line of the athletic is well worth a subscription. So, all right, we will get out of here. I hope everybody has a great week for Cody Stavenhagen. I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody, thank you for listening. <laughs>